Okay, absolutely. Uh, I'm Mike Weaver from the group Big Daddy Weave. I sing and play guitar for Big Daddy Weave. Seems like all I could see was the struggle. The, the song Redeemed um, continues to blow my mind how God is using this thing. Um, uh, I don't think there's any part of the songwriting process where you go, well, this is the part where the Holy Spirit is going to, you know, talk somebody out of, you know, ending their life or, you know, encourage somebody in the middle of, you know, something that they really just, you know, they've never been able to see a way out of, you know, or see find hope in the middle of. Uh, Redeemed it came out of a place of, of brokenness for me. For as long as I can remember, I have always... Um, never felt like I was enough. And no matter what God has done through my life and around my life, uh, I never really let that affect the way that I felt about myself. I am redeemed. You set me free. We kind of resolved to do this Biggest Loser esque kind of idea. In 2009, the goal was for me to lose 90 pounds in 09. In November, I had I was down 70 pounds. Uh, all the way to December, was down 80 pounds. So I only had 10 pounds to go. And at that point, honestly, it had become less about my health and more about just reaching this number on the scale. You know. And so at the, the last day of 2009, I got on the scale, I had lost 84 pounds, which I realized is nothing to sneeze at. But when I saw that number had missed the goal by six pounds, uh, I, was I was destroyed. I couldn't see any of the good in it. All I could see was failure, and it just resonated with that place in me that had always said that about me. sent me to a really a really dark place in my life and um, I remember there was a day when it was about at its worst and I was down in our garage pouring these feelings of self-hatred out to Jesus and just saying God if you can love me unconditionally and you are perfect and you are holy and you're the king of the universe you can love me why can't I love and accept myself God and it was like the king of the universe said to me, Mike, why don't you let me tell you what I think about you for once? And the God of everything said to my heart that day, I like the way that you smile, man. And he said, I love your heart for people and I even like your silly sense of humor because I put all that stuff in you. And you're mine, not because of your track record, not because of your ability or your inability to, to do anything. It's based solely on what I have already done for you with the blood of Jesus Christ that is shed for your life. You are mine because of my track record. I feel like the Lord showed me that day that what real humility is is not self-deprecation, 
But what walking in humility really is, is just agreeing with what he says about anybody and anything and what he says about my life as his child, somebody who belongs to him, is that I'm redeemed and that's the way I need to see myself. Only Jesus can take the stuff that you hate about yourself, you know, and use that to reach people, man. Pretty awesome story, right? I was pretty touched the first time I saw that. I, you know, I use a lot of videos when it comes to my student ministry and the stuff that I do here at the church. And so it's easy to kind of get uh, callous to some of that, you know, and just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a nice video, a nice song. Here we go. This is our deal. And uh, that story that he shared really just puts into action and puts into good picture a, a, an adequate way of really describing the redemption that we experience through the work of Christ on the cross. Um, this morning, that is our topic, and I'd just like to start with a word of prayer with y'all here. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity we have to serve and honor and worship you as Lord and God. So I pray that you would be honored in these moments, that you would take what we do today and allow it to invest deeply into our souls so that we can continue to speak life into a world who needs you. God, this is your time. We're circulating and talking about your word, and we pray that you would work in us in a deep and powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. It is the power. This is the authority. This is the truth. This is the salvation that we know. I shared with you last week the concept of covenant, and that was our, that was our topic last week. The idea that God made covenant and that God brings covenant. And we should find a security in covenant. And one of the, the tensions that we walk is those who may not know the Lord or know his attributes may find themselves on one side where they feel oppressed by a God who demands things of his followers. And yet, if we find ourselves in the knowledge of the living God, we find ourselves comforted, comforted through that covenant. And that covenant work that God does and that God did uh, continues to bring life and, and speak life into our nation, into our lives, and into vibrant work that happens inside the church. This morning, I want to share with you why I am not ashamed of the gospel. Um, last week in the Tuesday night study, I shared this story, and when I got done, I had couple people come up, why didn't you share that Tuesday morning? Uh, uh, and so on Wednesday night, I shared it. And so um, I, I want to share with you the story of my call to ministry and how that happened. Um, I was a junior in high school, and I had the opportunity to go with a group uh, from our church uh, to Siberia, Russia. Now, this was 1992, and uh, the the whole thing had just crumbled over there. We'd watched the wall come down and we'd seen all that. And now there was just opening 
ability for us to head into Russia. And, and one of the things that we had done is there was a book called uh, The Book of Life and, and The Book of Hope, if you're in the United States. And what they were doing is they had taken a synopsis of the Gospels and put them into a book form and translated them into all different languages. And one of the things that we had available to us was a Russian translation. Knowing that the Iron Curtain was now uh, opening, one of the things that we did is we went in for medical aid and assistance and working in schools to pass out the Book of Life to students in schools. Now remember, this is Russia, this is Siberia, very close, not gospel-centered, not given to knowing about the Lord. This is is a closed-off place. As a junior in high school, I went with a group from our high school uh, and and young couples and adults from our church, and about 30 of us went on this trip, and my dad and I went together. And as we arrived in Siberia, I realized we were not in Kansas anymore. Um, As they collected our passports and held them for us, Oh, yeah, for safekeeping, of course, especially if I so disappeared, no one would ever know, right? Um, uh, And then I also noticed that everywhere we went, literally the guys in the trench coats with the little hats, like the KGB guys, they were following us everywhere we went. It was creepy, all right? Our taxis, we'd get in the taxi, black car would follow us wherever we went. It was a very interesting time for me. So all the things that I had been freaked out about from all the movies I had seen all came to real life that day, right? And during those couple weeks. Um, One uh, place that we went, we had opportunity to go through elementary schools and all different places. And then we went to a university where there were older students there. And they were sitting, and we were in an auditorium. It was about 150 people on a little, uh, a little bit of an elevated uh, classroom. And my dad and myself and a gal that was with us in our group were there. And my dad, being the good dad that he is, he said, well, why don't you tell them why we're here and what God's done in your life? And so our presentation, again, we're giving them a school book because they needed literature to work through as educational material. So we gave them this, and he said, but this also brings with it life. And I shared my story as a junior in high school. I just said, I grew up in this guy's home, my dad, who's a pastor, and he loves God with all of his heart, and he's led me in that way. And with that love for God, I have followed the Lord Jesus Christ all my life, and God has protected me and guided me and led me, and he spared me from pain, and he spared me from suffering, and I don't know why, but he has kept me, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my personal Savior. And then I just began to explain that Christ died on the cross for my sins, and God sent his only son and went through this whole process, and it was a very brief synopsis. And I said, but more than just leaving you a book today, I'd like to ask you if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ. Okay, remember, hearken back to Luke cha- uh, Acts chapter 2, where it says, what should we do? We've heard, now we need to respond. So I said, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, one, in the back of your book, there's more information, and you can kind of check that out and study it out. But if that's something that's in your heart this morning, I'd like to pray for you. Again, my dad's a pastor, friend in the room, speaking through a translator. And when I said, if you'd like me to pray for you, raise your hand. Every person in the room raised their hand. I thought, no, 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 this isn't right. Um, I'm just a junior in high school. You didn't understand what I was saying. So I clarified the gospel message a little bit. It's hard. It's difficult. You're going to have to stop doing everything you were doing. Follow Jesus Christ. Change your ways. If you would like me to pray for you that you would receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. Every person in the room raised their hand. 
seriously, I'm not Billy Graham here. Like, there's no, but no, there's no way this is the response. So I made it even more difficult. Now, all those things that you have learned that are wicked and evil ways of the world, like I started getting like kind of hellfire and brimstone, right? And, and I, I laid it on even further, and I told the translator, you tell them what I'm telling them, right? I'm not asking them for, you know, who wants free candy. This is Jesus, right? And, and I said, now, if you'd like for me to pray for you, I want you to raise your hand. Every person in the room raised their hand. And then a couple people in the front row stood up. And then everybody else stood up, hands raised. And then one guy in the back of the room stands up and he yells from the back, please tell us and lead us to your Jesus. Ever since you started talking about this Jesus who has saved you, my heart has been bleeding with joy. I must know Jesus today. And as I prayed the prayer of salvation with that group of college students, the Lord, not like audibly, I don't even know how to explain it, spoke into my heart, this is what you're going to do the rest of your life. Enjoy it now. Enjoy it later, because this is what you were born to do. Boom. That was the call to ministry. And so when I say I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's because it is the power of life to change lives, to restore lives, and to buy back that which was lost. This morning we're talking about redemption. The narrative scope of the Bible is from creation to new creation about Jesus Christ redeeming his people. Human beings are worshipers by nature, so our problems can, can go one way or another, uh, and they can be understood basically, our, our issues, as, as worship issues. We're made to worship. And the basic bottom line of our nature is that we are broken and that, and that we are fractured in a lot of ways. And, and God's work inside of us is to redeem us back to what he desired and designed us to be and to do. And, and what we find in God's work, if you look at the bottom line on your notes, I think I even put it on the screen for you today, um, that God's redemption purpose in freeing us from bondage to sin and suffering goes beyond what he wants to do in us, what, what he wants to do in us. He wants to do something through us. As we who have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light make him known to others in word and in deed. That's the bottom line. And, and when we get to that point, I'm going to try and get to it again here. Sarah, if you can help me with that, that would be awesome. Um, the, the basic deal of this is as we progress and as we walk with the Lord, his purpose is revealed in us, but it's not just so that we can be uh, changed and experience something in our hearts, but so that God can be glorified. Because God is about God, and God is for God. And even in the process of redemption, he is for himself to be made known and glorified and lifted up. Uh, this morning, I think we've got to clarify, redemption is, is often seen as like a buying back or a, a, a purchasing. And, and I would uh, make a mark just to say redemption is not necessarily about purchasing back. I think that's almost uh, kind of a, a bad analogy there because in, in some circles and in some ways they would say it's kind of like the, the analogy would be given to like the Greco-Roman slave market 
where we are the slaves and God is the buyer and Satan is the seller and the price is Jesus. That God comes in and he sees these slaves and he wants to purchase them back and so he gives his son as the price. And that's not a great analogy for that because really the best analogy is found in the Exodus where the Israelites are us. And God is a God who redeems. And Satan is Pharaoh. And in that story, you do not see a God who comes in and pays Pharaoh off to take his people back. No. He comes and he takes his people back. Even to the point of the cost of loss and devastation in lives. He is going to redeem his people how he desires to redeem them back. And, and when we kind of get this idea that God would be required to redeem through payment, we're not giving God the ultimate authority. God is above payment. Satan has no power over God. And it's not like God has to come in and make deals with Satan undercover in order for us to be purchased back. No, 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 no. It's his. All authority is his. All the work and all the glory is his. And we are his already. And so we go through this, and I want to take you through a couple things. You're going to do some fill-ins. It's going to go pretty quick. Um, When we suffer, God is near. We're looking at Exodus chapter 1, and you can fill in. But we have to realize that when we suffer, God is near. We live in a broken and a fallen world. People ask, Jeff, how come there's disease? And with students, we get this all the time. How come there's so many bad things that happen to good people? I say there's bad things that happen to bad people too. It's just the fact that we live here in a broken world, in a broken state, in a fallen place. There is destruction and devastation as part of the natural process of what happens here. As soon as we are born, we start dying. Like, we're, in, we're all in a different state. Sorry to let you know, right? But, but here's the idea. In this broken and fallen world, God is with us. God is compassionate. And he loves the brokenhearted. In Genesis chapter 1, you see the picture of the Israelites who are saying, help us, help us, deliver us, right? They're crying out because they're an oppressed people. And God is there, even though they don't realize it, and even though they may not see it, and and some grumble, and some complain, and some turn to other ways. He is there, and he is present. That's the message of the gospel, that even when we don't recognize him, God is there, and, and serving, and walking with his covenant people. The next one is, bricks without straw. How long, O Lord? God's promise is to redeem us for worship and not for comfort. The Israelites were driven hard. They were hard-pressed. They were in slavery. They were put down. They were beat down. And it is a reminder to us as we read through, and I encourage you just write these sections of Scripture down and read them later. As we read through Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, where we see these oppressed people being even further broken, we have to remember that we are redeemed for worship, not comfort. 
And that's why a lot of the gospel message that is being proclaimed, where people say, you know, if you do the right thing, God will make your bank account full. If you do the right stuff, you'll drive the right car. If you'll do the right things. Because then it just offsets too much from what I see in Scripture, where God redeems people for his glory and for worship of him, not for comfort. Let's move to the next one, the Passover. At your worst, God gives you his best. When we deserve death, God provides a lamb. When the children of Israel deserved death in their grumbling just as much as the Egyptians, there were many children of Israel who should have suffered the same way that the Egyptians did, but their blood was covering their, uh, their, their doorposts, and they were spared And one of the things that we recognize through the goodness and the grace of God is that while we deserve death, he provides a lamb. I like to say this, I should have died. I should have been crucified. I should have hung on a cross in utter disgrace, but instead Christ died and he took my place. And that was never more evident than to these people in Exodus 12, 1 through 28, when the Passover lamb was provided so that they would not have to endure the loss of the firstborn. Crossing the Red Sea into a new life free from shame. A new identity gives us freedom from the pain and scars that entangle us. See, God didn't pay off Satan with Jesus and he didn't pay off Pharaoh for the Israelites He restored them back, and he redeemed them. He took them with him. And when they crossed the Red Sea, they went to a new place. They went to a a new land, a place where they could outlive some of their reputation. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but my experience was coming from high school to college, where I could step into a college situation where I knew no one, No one from my high school, my public high school, Mayfair High School in Bellflower, California, Lakewood, California, ever, no one went to APU with me. And when I walked onto that campus, I had this feeling of, I can be whoever I want to be starting today. Nobody knows who I am outside of what I do now. And there's that moment where the Israelites cross over the Red Sea and they have this realization that God has freed them to a new life. God has restored in them a new image and God has put in them an identity that is different. They were on one side of the sea, slaves and beggars and oppressed. And on the other side of the sea, a chosen people a royal priesthood, rescued. Do you see that? And and when we proclaim the gospel of redemption, that we can have that, that we receive that through the blood of Jesus Christ, that's what brings life. I don't know of one person in the world out here, when we talk, if I were to say, if I could give you a fresh start, a new life, a clean slate tomorrow with no strings attached, would you go? I don't know of one person that wouldn't at least raise an eyebrow, that wouldn't at least kind of lean in and want to hear a little bit more. But that's what God provides us through his redemption. 
And then we get to the place where we begin to deal with and recognize our pain and our scars. And I think it's really important here that our identity in Christ brings freedom, but our pain and our scars entangle. And I think scars either become a weight or they take on a purpose. They either become a weight to you or they tell a story of what you've been brought from or what's been done in you. And a lot of people in our world and a lot of us in church, we get entangled by our scars and our pain. And God says, you're redeemed. Just like that story we saw on the screen, you're mine. I built you this way. I've spoken life and breath into you. Walk in these things. Demanding manna is the next section. See, once we're out into the the wilderness, the subtle significance of everyday desires kind of starts to take over. We get to the place where, yes, we're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, and yeah, we're darn hungry. And I don't know about you, but I've had some really uh, great high points in my life where I felt great about everything, and all was good, and then I hit that deep valley right? You have that kind of Elijah moment where you go from, you know, being the main man, the prophet, winning the challenge, to then, you know, trying to sneak under a tree and die somewhere, right? You have these high moments that then lead to low moments at some points. And what he says is, is you've got to be freed from that, freed from the, the sin that, that is set in your life. And, and asking God to release you from that is only the beginning of the journey from death to life. Now it's understanding a new way to live. So familiar when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Such a powerful picture when you have this understanding here. You don't need to beg for manna in the morning. Rest in me. And then we go to the golden calf. and start volunteering for slavery. Can you believe that a rescued people, a people that have been freed from sin, a people that are being regenerated and renewed and changed as well, volunteer for slavery? Make us a golden calf that we might worship it. Make us a golden calf that we might make sacrifice to it. And a people that have been freed still bear in their hearts at times the roots of idols that we have set up. It's very important to realize that once you receive the salvation of Jesus Christ, he starts a process of renewing your desires, but it's not like all those desires are gone. I have students that say, I've trusted Jesus with my life, but I just can't stop this. We walk through the process and say, you're redeemed. God wants to regenerate you. God wants to take those broken places that have those desires, and he wants to speak life and newness and wholeness into those places. And and even though we know the truth, the desires of our heart at times, the the deep-seated things that we've held on to and the things that we know, they, they take root. And they cause us to cry out, enslave me. Enslave me. Because that's what I know. Because that's what I've got the picture of. And that's that's what it it maybe should look like. The covenant-keeping God, our only hope for lasting change. 
It's the next one. God gives his people new hearts and new desires, which lead to lasting change. There's something different about the work of God in our lives than the work of man in our lives. You know, I've, I've talked with a lot of people over a lot of years and, and counseled couples and counseled individuals and spent a lot of time. And there's a big difference between a move of God to shape and redeem and, and regenerate somebody's heart versus me just not doing the things anymore. Because on one side, you have a person who is working really hard at behavior modification. And you have the other person who no longer has those desires. Now, now consider this. A man who is trapped in the web, and this is, this is a big one in our culture, in the web of pornography, in our world, can get married and have a great wife and have a great life, and he can resist the temptation of pornography in his life. But at some point, if we do not allow God to remove that, if we do not submit to the authority of God in our lives, if we do not ask God to remove even the desire some way, somehow, all those things will creep out. While on the other side, when we ask God, God, restore me, renew me, we find the appropriate avenues to see the sickness of our problem, our disease, and we ask and submit to the work of the Lord and his people. We find men who say, I, I don't even have a, an ounce of a taste for that anymore. Like the thought of that is repulsive to me. I spoke with a guy a while back, um, and he said, Jeff, my issues in my marriage were strongly rooted in my addictions. And there came a breaking point in my heart and my life where I literally fell on my knees and I cried before God and I repented and I surrendered and I said, take me, allow me to recognize you as the king of my life. And I don't want to run my life anymore. He said, literally, within the next couple weeks, he found himself almost just cringing at the thought of the guy he used to be. Cringing at the thoughts of the things that he used to crave and hunger for. And that only happens through the work of God. We can't behavior modify enough. We have to be redeemed. And finally, is God your promised land? God is not a means to some other end. God is our final destination. I love how the book of Exodus ends. It ends with the glory of the Lord resting on the tabernacle of meeting. The story goes from a people in bondage and it makes this passageway all the way through to the very final point where the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the cloud and the fire of God rest upon the tabernacle to the point that Moses may not enter for the glory of God is present. And when we see that, I would bear to differ with people who would say the end result was the promised land. Because the end of Exodus ends with the people in the glory of the Lord. That's where it ends. And so we finish up today recognizing our modern expression of redemption 
is found in communion. And the reason that we use communion is to celebrate the gift of the Son of God for us to redeem us back, to bring us back to the place that we were meant to be. And we love the imagery that comes from, and I love the fact that we took the imagery that comes from that Passover feast, that Passover meal, and some of you guys have experienced the wholeness, the fullness of what that looks like, and it's awesome. If you ever get a chance to do a full Seder, it is incredible. But then to follow it up with what that means when Jesus says, take this, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood. Take heat, remember me. And we live out the redemption message of the gospel when we receive communion together in fellowship. And that's one of the things since I've been at Tulare Community Church that has become so, so apparently incredible to me as well is that we do that in community. We receive the body and the blood of Christ in community where we can celebrate together and we can recognize that we are a redeemed people and that it's not just about me and the work that he's doing inside of me, but it's the work he's doing in me for the evidence of his glory and his great name. With that being said, let's go to prayer. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to see your redemption work. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would allow this to become our story. That every day in some way our story would flow naturally from our lips. And that our praises to you would be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.